All right, all right. Let's all chill out for one second. Let's bring it down for a moment. If you have a, uh, if you have a glow stick, please do not throw them. And uh, just all calm down, have a nice time, relax, take a break. So much energy, you know, everyone's like, ah, jumping. Never done that before or whatever, I don't know. Okay, uh, for you guys who don't know me, my name is Michael. I get to have the opportunity to serve here as the youth director, which means uh, that all of this um, I get a chance to do every week, and it's the best thing in the entire world, hanging out with you guys. Uh, for the next uh, little bit, you are going to hear from me as I uh, talk through some stuff in the Bible. If you are new here, you are probably uh, freaking out because this is like, what the heck did we just come into? This is some weird religious rave, but I kind of like it. But uh, that, I don't know if that's what's rolling through your mind. But uh, we want you guys to feel comfortable. We want you guys to know uh, it's going to be okay. Nothing weird is going to happen. You know, we're not going to like kidnap you or something. Like, I mean, I'm just kidding. All right, so... If you're feeling kind of a bit weird in the sense of, uh, man, I don't know if this, I don't know if this thing is for me. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the, the nicest of people. I'm not the, the cleanest of individuals. You know, that's okay. Me neither, you know. Um, I remember a couple years ago we had uh, a summer kids camp, right? So from like basically like straight out of the womb till, you know, grade four or whatever, grade five. And uh, I was one of the characters. So I dressed up. I did all these plays and skits like, I'm, uh, you know, like. Emmy Oscar worthy stuff, right? And uh, I would go around and I would give these camp bucks to all of these kids because they did some nice thing. They were like, ooh, you're nice. I'm like, boom, 10 bucks and just threw money at these kids, right? That's what my job was. And uh, so I'm at the camp store and I'm rolling in these like baller sunglasses. And one of the, there's a big lineup for the camp store and one of the girls looks at me and she says, oh man, like those glasses are so cool. And I'm like, dude, you can get some of these glasses for six bucks at the camp store. The little girl looks to me and says, oh, man, I don't have six camp bucks. I only have seven. <laughs> and then I looked at her and I said, that sucks. And then I walked away. Um, so if you're, if you're not worse than that, you are welcome to be here. And, uh, and we are pumped that you are a part of this thing. Listen, I don't want to trick you. I don't want to say anything off the bat that probably we are not going to be upfront about. We are here because of one person, one individual, one name, and that name is Jesus. The whole part of, of why we do all of this, the lights, the, the you know, the whatever the heck these things are called, the microphone, any of this is all for Jesus. That's kind of the point. And uh, at times we have things that inspire us about our lives and how we follow Jesus. And the other day I was, I was thinking through, um, you know, everyone's obsessed with that new It movie, which is just straight like, oh my goodness, there are some clown lovers in the joint. I am not one of those. Uh, clowns are straight up evil. And uh, so as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking about horror films, right, or whatever. And then I start thinking about one of the most iconic ones, and it's Jaws. And then I, 
everybody thinks of Jaws as like the different parts. Everyone thinks about Jaws with just the shark. I think about Jaws uh, with this clip that I'm about to show right now because I think it gives us the most beautiful picture uh, through this video about what it means to follow Jesus. So let's watch this for a second, then we'll talk. So that, that whole scene is like ridiculously cute, right? And we miss the point when it comes to Jaws. We think Jaws is about this massive shark eating people, which it's a piece of the movie, all right? But really the whole thing is about a guy trying to figure out what it looks like to be a man. And what he's trying to do is he sees this little boy and that little boy is trying to be him. He, he's the imitator. He's the person who is seeing something and trying to be that thing. I think that gives us the perfect image of what we want to do here. But the most beautiful part of you can look to your left and your right and there's a sweeping view of people is that that little boy imitating his father is kind of like us, except for we don't do that thing alone. We have a whole community around us. That's why we do this whole Welcome Home series anyways, because the whole idea is that you are following someone trying to be more like them and you are not doing it by yourself. You have a whole lot of people around you going through the same journey, the same task, and the same thing that we are all trying to accomplish together. That's the point of all of this. So with that said, if you have a Bible, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. I want you to tune to Luke chapter 10. If you do not have a Bible, um, just raise up your hands and some leaders will walk down and, uh, and grab you a Bible because that is what we love to do. Luke chapter 10. We're going to start in verse uh, 25. Verse 25, it's kind of interesting because all of the years that I thought about how many times I've, you know, preached a sermon or said anything about Jesus, I've actually never talked about this verse. This passage that we are about to talk about is called the Good Samaritan, all right? The Good Samaritan is one of the most famous passages of scripture and has gone into our modern day vocabulary. So imagine this scene, you get an old lady, she's walking down the street, she's, you know, being old ladyish, so she's kind of cute, kind of like, you know, dresses a bit weird, and she's got like her big old purse. And then you got this other guy, not so nice, masked up, goes, runs after this old lady, steals her purse, and runs away. And then you got this other dude, he's chilling over here. The masked guy runs past him, and as he's running, just goes, boom, drops the guy, grabs the purse, gives it back to the old lady. We would refer to that individual as a good Samaritan. This is kind of the modern vocabulary that we have stolen because of Jesus' story here. So let's read it together. Let's see what it has for us and see what this has to do with this idea of community. Verse 25 of Luke 10, it says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to him, uh, stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 26, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your minds, and your neighbor as yourself. Really, really important phrase that we're going to get into. And your neighbor as yourself. 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And who is my neighbor? I was, uh, I was watching a TED Talk. You guys ever watch TED Talks? They're kind of like 
they're kind of gangster. So I'm watching a TED Talk, and it's this guy named J.J. Abrams. He's a director. He did the last Star Wars. He also did this, this TV show called Lost. It's way back in, like, the early 2000s, probably not your kind of thing. But the whole thing about Lost was that there were so many mysteries about the show, and none of those mysteries ever got answered. You, you had all of these questions. They were like, what? why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? So in this TED Talk, J.J. Abrams explains why this goes and occurs. He says, one day, him and his grandfather go to this magic store, and his grandpa buys him a box. And it's this box that has $50 worth of magic inside it, and it's only 15 bucks. So his grandpa buys him this magic box, and, and as a young boy, this guy looks at the box, and he says, I, I don't want to open it. Because as soon as I open it, I, I know what it is, and I, it kind of loses its power. But if I don't open it, there's infinite possibility with this. What I want you to do is I want you to take that phrase and who is my neighbor. I want you to take that phrase as the box, this box of infinite possibilities. Whatever you expect this answer to be, I want you to wipe that clean and just see it for what it is. And who is my neighbor? Verse 30, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. A bunch of robbers beat him up who stripped him, they beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He ignored him, and he, he kind of just walked through. Verse 32, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, it's a lot of money, gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus then asked this question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. I think this is such an interesting story because it gives us kind of a, a beautiful picture of three different individuals. First of all, you got this, this priest. Now picture a priest. Priest supposed to be like a pretty nice dude, right? You see a guy beat up, you're probably going to go and do something. At this time, they got some rules. A priest has a rule on him that says he cannot touch a dead body or else he's going to be unclean, which means that's not a good thing. So this dude's rolling on by, sees a guy lying on the side of the road. He's like, uh, you know what, I'm not going to risk it, and I'm not going to touch him. The rule is actually stopping him from helping the individual out. And how many of us kind of have things like that? These little tiny things about ourselves that we say, no, no, this is the way that I'm going to run my life, these structures, these regulations, these rules that kind of stop us from doing certain things than we should. It happens all the time. Imagine this situation, okay? This is actually a real-life situation, but I want to adapt this to you guys. Say you're in the Middle East. You're giving out food, and, and there's a bunch of people around here. And a little boy shows up. And then a, an older boy shows up. And then an even older boy shows up. And that last boy who, who shows up. You say to him, where do you come from? kind of hear from him, you hear his story a bit, and you find out that his father is a part of a terrorist group. Some of us at that point would have a rule to ourselves to say, I'm not going to help that individual because of whatever your thing is. 
It's a rule. It's a regulation stopping you from helping. At that point, you should probably ask yourself, man, is my idea of neighbor, should it be wider than this? Here's the question. Is my alleged enemy a part of the community? Is my alleged enemy a part of the community? Because a neighbor, right, what's a neighbor? Somebody who lives next to you, who lives in your community, who hangs out, they're a part of the group. So is something about what you're doing in your, is stopping you from realizing that this alleged enemy might be your neighbor. The second thing you got is this Levite, right? A Levite is like a poor man's priest. And he rolls up and he's walking through and he sees the guy. And for whatever reason, the same way he walks past, he doesn't help. You can imagine what's kind of going on. He probably has some things to do. He's probably got a lot on his plate. His schedule is tight, man. He has to keep on going so he doesn't help either. How many of us stop from realizing community, stop from realizing who our neighbor is because of this one word? Busy. Busy. Right? It's kind of funny. If I walk up to you like, dude, how are you doing? Busy, man. I'm busy. I got homework, right? I got more homework, you know? Sometimes my mom says, take out the trash. I got things going on, okay? We hide behind this word busy. We hide behind the hurry and the hustle and the bustle of the world because we we feel comfortable there. We feel like we have control until we actually begin to notice that that one word, busy, or, or I have a lot going on. We're not actually saying those things because our schedules are crammed. We're saying those things because that word makes us feel important. If I say busy, it means a lot of people want my time. If I say busy, it means a lot of people want my attention. So as soon as you ask about what I'm doing, I'm saying this word, why? Because it tells you more about who I am, and I am actually really, really, really important. That's what to do. I'm, I'm busy. And so we stop helping there. And then you got this last guy, Samaritan. Don't even know what that is, right? Samaritan. He sees this dude helpless on the side of the road, and none of those things come into play. The rules don't come into play. The busyness doesn't come into play. And he helps him like anyone probably should, right? That's probably normal for us, to help a guy who's beaten up on the side of the road, that we should do something about that. And yet it's not. Jesus knows that. We know that. Someone should do something. And there's reasons why we fail to do this. It's not just busyness. It's not just the the hurry of life. It's not just because we don't. Sometimes we just do not want to. Sometimes we just don't think even to act. And that's a problem. Let me give you an example. I told her I would say this story um, because it's the greatest story. One time, one of our leaders, uh, I'm going to straight up name drop her. Her name is Stephanie Lusick. She... um, Right? She's a, she's a great leader. I remember when Steph was in high school and I was her youth leader. We're doing a service similar to this. Imagine how, like, epic and emotional the night, the night was. Everyone's, like, crying. It was a big deal kind of service. So we do, hey, all the leaders are going to stand at the back. And, and Steph comes and she walks up to me. Right? She walks up to me. She wants to pray about something really, really serious. So then I'm like, man, let's, you know, let's buckle down. Let, let's, let's get into this. So we start praying for this thing. Praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. Now, to preface this, you need to know something about Steph. 
Steph will break anything around her. She is the clumsiest individual that there ever was. And so all of a sudden, we're praying. She opens her eyes up. She turns around. She has like a one, the one tear rolling down her face. Just a beautiful moment. She kind of slowly backs up, slowly backs up, turns around. Now, there was one thing that happened that we probably didn't account for was there was these three tables set up in the back of the room. And uh, Seth, our lovely uh, ginger here, he, he was up here, similar, like six years ago, singing his song along, sounding like a young guy who sings. And he's singing along, and, uh, and he's doing a beautiful job. Everyone's like, mmm, give me some more. And Steph backs up, backs up, backs up, eyes still closed, tearing up. Oh, this is a Jesus moment. Turns around and full out smashes this table. The table then begins to collapse. It hits the floor. Steph collapses with the table as well. And this was the loudest noise I've ever heard in a church service other than the drums. Everyone's dead quiet. Crying at the front. Oh my gosh, the music has got to my heart. And Steph's in the back crushing tables, right? As she falls... I'm left there with a predicament. I'm a good man. I should help young uh, girl on the floor. That's what you should do. What did I do? I also collapsed on the floor of laughter. I could not stop laughing. I was dying. And then it only got worse because somehow and for some reason when she hit the floor, everyone turned around and looked at her embarrassment and shame is flowing over her body. So then she begins to realize her legs no longer work and she's, dra she's dragging herself on the floor, zombie style, right? A around the corner and goes towards the bathroom. And I think to myself, you know what? I should have done something about that. I didn't, I didn't, I laughed at her. And now six years later, I'm bringing it up in front of a whole lot of people. I'm a great, great man, right? There's that side of things. You, you can help somebody out and some, you just really don't want to. And then there's another type of way that you want to help someone out. And this way is the one where you have the best intentions and then everything goes south on you. We all have these ones. Uh, one day uh, we took a vacation down to California and uh, we went to this place called Salvation Mountain, okay? The, the name doesn't matter. It's just the scariest place on earth, okay? So we go, we drive there. And on the way back, I'm like, I hated that place. That was awful. And we're driving, driving, driving this long road, and there's a beach next to us. It looks beautiful. It's a beautiful beach. Wow, that's a nice beach, right? It has water and a beach. It's great. So as I'm driving, my now wife, then girlfriend, says, we should go to the beach. I'm like, I'm busy, all right? I got, I got stuff to do. She's like, no, we got to go to the beach. I'm like, no, we're not going to the beach. She says, we're going to the beach. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm about to die. So we pull over. We go towards the beach. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Sultan Sea before. It's in California. It's a horrible place. The Sultan Sea was created and literally every year just straight up murders fish. I don't know why it dies, but it kills fish. Fish rise up to the top. They die. The skeletons end up going out the water. So this beautiful white sand 
that we believed to be there was just dead fish. And as we're walking through, we don't realize that. I'm like, the sand is awfully crunchy. I don't know what's going on. It's a California thing. They love some crunch, okay? And we're walking. And I'm wearing kind of shoes similar to this or whatever, and, and we're going, and, and she starts freaking out. Oh, my gosh! This dead stuff is under us. Huh? We look down. We analyze it, CSI style. We realize that it's some dead skeletons and some fish. She then proceeds to jump on my back and says, I can't do this anymore. So what happens is if you're like this, pretty normal, on the dead skeletons, nothing happens. But if you have someone on your back, you go down lower. And then all of the dead skeletons seem to conglomerate within your shoes. So now I'm like trucking along in this dead fish death pit of death and I'm walking back to the car because I'm trying to help a girl out. A girl that I married. Yes, yes, the ship has sailed, I'm sorry. But that one act won me her heart, right? That's, that's kind of some of this stuff. On one end, you just don't want to help. On the other end, you get dead fish in your shoes, right? And it doesn't really work out to your favor. So what does any and all of this mean? This random guy walks up to Jesus. Jesus says back and tells him this story. What's, what's the point of any of this? It's funny because ethnic boundaries are a huge part at this time. Jesus is a Jew. He's talking to a Jew. The priest he's referring to is a Jew. The Levite who he's talking about is a Jew. And then you got this last guy. Samaritan. The Samaritan is the only one that helps the guy on the side of the road. The Samaritan is actually the only one who goes and does anything. And then you begin to realize what a Samaritan is. Back in the day, the Jews were invaded by a people group. That people group stole all of their women, had children with them. Now you have these half-breeds. And these half-breeds were named Samaritans. A people come in and terrorize their home, destroyed everything, take all of their women. And the result of that is this people, the Samaritans. In essence, when you begin to think about it with, what a Samaritan is, in modern-day context, the Samaritan is probably like a terrorist member's son. I remember the question at the beginning when I asked you, if you were in a situation where you had to help one of them out, would you go and do it? What Jesus just did is he flipped the table on you and said, no, 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 it's not even about you helping them. It's understanding that that individual has helped you. This is bigger than just you coming to a place. This is you understanding that what we do here is about acceptance. It's about love. 
It's about forgiveness. It's about mercy. And it's understanding that the community or the home that you belong to, this, as the second home that you come to on a Tuesday night with leaders that love you, we want to pray for you, we want to talk about the Bible, we want to have community with one another. The whole idea of what we're trying to have you understand is that his whole question, who is your neighbor? Who is the person you commit to? Who is the person that you help? Who is the person in your community? And what he's trying to say to you is expand your horizons and understand that the person in your community might be someone you don't even like. And the hard reality is that person who you don't even like might be doing a better job than us. How crazy is that for us to hear? You know who didn't do the job? The priest. You know who didn't do the job? The Levite. You know who did do the job? Your enemy did. The guy you do not like. The person you don't want to spend any time with. What does that mean for us? One of the things is we have to start living others interested. We cannot be the kinds of people who think that everything is about us. It's not. I remember the very first time I was introduced to this idea. Uh, when I was in high school, I went to a real grungy high school. The rules in the hood were if you left anything in your locker unattended, it's up for grabs. That's what we lived by. So we would go to the locker, we would grab things, and, and that was kind of my heart posture. I was, I was just taking stuff left and right, an iPod, or somebody left their phone, and if you left it unlocked and unattended, it, it's gone. Now it can be mine. That was my whole mentality. One day, these two guys show up and they start coaching my volleyball team in high school. They were sweet dudes. They would take me to tournaments, they would drive, they would drive me in their car, and they would play just hardcore gangster rap music. And I was like... Come on, somebody, right? That's legit. And they would just keep listening to some more. I'm like, this is awesome. And then one day after practice, one of the guys comes up to me and he says, hey, we got this thing kind of going on. Would you want to come to the church with us? At that point, I'd gone to church, you know, before, and it was lame. And I looked at him and I said, you're a Christian. And he says, yeah. I kind of stopped for a second. I was like, man, I thought you were cool. It's ironic now, right? It's funny. And then I start hanging out with him some more. Start hanging out with him some more. Start hanging out with him some more. And then this one, one tiny thing locked into my mind and changed, changed my life forever. We go to McDonald's because that's what he used to do. He used to just hang out with me. He used to just talk about dumb things, you know. He used to listen to my problems. We'd hang out at, at McDonald's and I'd sit there and I'm like, dude, man, my life sucks. It's like, Why? She didn't even look at me today. Come on. You know, that's some of you right now. You're like, preach, right? And I'll sit there with my, like, dumb, like, problems or whatever. Like, my mom doesn't let me play Xbox or whatever. And he would sit there and he would just listen. And he would care for me and he would just, just listen, give me good advice. And all that was cool. The advice was sweet. And then one day... He's like, hey, i, I got to get going to something. Can we just hit the drive through real fast? And I'm like, sure. We go, he gets in, into the car. We go to the drive through We get to the cashier. He's already ordered. I've ordered. And he does, it's so small. 
looks at the cashier and he says, hey, you see that minivan behind me, the family back there? Do you think I could pay for their meal? You think I, you think I just pay for their meal? Cashier's like, Sh- sure. <laughs> kind of confused. The guy pays for, for the meal and we, we just drive away. And I'm staring at the rear view as we're going through and the lady has her card out and, and the guy says, no, 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 and then just points our direction. No idea who they were. And he didn't even care. That one thing changed my life. To see a whole way of living life to which I was not the point. To where I was not the only thing that mattered. To where I can sit there and the default of my heart is not what is best for me. It's what's best for us. The whole idea that we want you to get across today, if not anything, is that it is not about you. It's about us. And it's so interesting that a lawyer, somebody who knows the law, will go to Jesus and ask him this question. If Jesus is God, if that's a central thing that we believe in, who even created that law in the first place? God, that the lawyer is questioning the one who gave him the law. It's such an irony for us to to even think about that. And to ask the very human being, we're midway, we're only midway through this book, at the end of the, the gospel of Luke, that same Jesus who's saying, listen, if there's someone on the side of the road helpless, can do nothing for themselves, take action and go towards them, help them do something about it. Do this. Don't just talk a good talk. Go and do the thing I'm saying to you. If they are helpless, if they are close to death, go and help them do anything you can. We go, Jesus, that's great. That's awesome. When did you do that? When did you do that? Right there. If you want to understand what it is to have an other's interested heart, there is nowhere else you go other than Jesus himself. I think the craziest idea that we have to look at is that he did not have to come after you. Like it was some necessity for him to do this. It's love. is at the very core of his being. Love is his essence. So when we constantly in life defy, push away, hate, reject, do the things we know we're not supposed to do, he looks at all of those things, right? We in the church use this term sin. Sin, very simply, is just all the bad things. Think of all the bad things you've ever done in your life the things that you are shameful of, the things that you regret, the things that pain you every single day when you wake up and think about them. 
how often at times do you sit there and ask, why is no one helping me? Why is no one coming around? Why do I feel so alone? Why does no one want to do anything with me? And at times you begin to ask the same question. Who is my neighbor? Who is going to help when I'm helpless? And the whole story constantly is leading you to the idea that when you cannot help yourself, Jesus did. When you cannot do anything for yourself, Jesus did. When he looked at you with compassion and said, I will take their responsibility, their bad things on myself. Lived a perfect life. He died on a cross for you and your sins. And we in the church believe three days later he came, won victory from the grave, and allowed us to be a part of a home. Life is not about us. It's not just about me. But what does my life look like if I change my whole mentality to make it seem like it's about the togetherness? It's about my home. I hope that one idea would change your life. And who is my neighbor? Maybe it's not somebody that I like. But it's definitely someone that Jesus died for. Let's pray. Father, We thank you so much for, for who you are, for what you do, and for just the tremendous amount of love that you have just lavished on us, that as we come to a place like this and we enjoy and we have such a great time that we would look to ourselves and we would say, man, this, this isn't so much about just me. This isn't about what I want to have happen, but I would actually sit back and go, what's the best for others? What's best for the other person and not myself? What can I do on a daily basis to just help and to understand who my neighbor is, the very person I'm going to serve and help and do anything for like you have done for me, that you would be our model, that the very thing that we are doing when we serve others, when we help others, is simply just an imitation. That the only reason, the only reason we can have this kind of a mentality, the only reason we can have this kind of a, a viewpoint of having others' interested hearts is that we just watch you. We follow your steps. We do what you do. And we just sit and we think about what you've done and allow that to change us on the inside. That we could have the same kind of mentality that when someone else doesn't do, doesn't do it, when another person doesn't do it, I will. When they don't wanna help, when they don't wanna serve, I will. When they want to think about themselves and they want to think about themselves, I, I won't. My heart is for others. It's for them. Because that's what you did with your life when you gave it away. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen.